Good morning, everyone. It is 11 o'clock on Thursday, and we are here for Bible Study Live. And we are still working through the Gospel of Luke and doing uh, just really getting into the meat of the Gospel. And I hope you're loving these chapters. I am. And today we start chapter 7. I uh, want to welcome you and invite you to just get, uh, get a cup of coffee and grab a, or perhaps a soda, whatever it is you like. And this morning I made... Uh, Made a little coffee from home, brought it down to my office here in my Starbucks to-go cup, the kind of the kind you can just rinse out and wash out and reuse all the time. Makes it kind of handy to go. I think they give you a discount if you take it in to refill it, but I haven't done that. But uh, this this morning is Pete's Coffee, so don't tell Starbucks. I put Pete's Coffee in their cup. Pete's Coffee, as you know, I drink that from time to time. It's really an incredible, you can get it in K-Cups. They have their own stores around the country. I've never been to one of their stores, but their coffee's great. Really good, bold flavors. Uh, I buy their decaf, of course, but uh, it's a dark roast, bold decaf. It's hard to find anywhere else. But uh, hope you're enjoying something this morning. I talked to a friend earlier, and she was sitting out on her deck just enjoying the beauty of the morning. These mornings have been absolutely gorgeous. So it is. it is great to be together again for Bible study. I'm just kind of scrolling down the page of my computer looking to see if I can find the live link because I like to be able to watch it on the computer as well to just kind of follow your comments, but it is not popping up, or if it did, I missed it and I'm not sure why, but uh, hopefully it'll pop up here in just a few minutes, but I'll keep, keep an eye on one eye on that, one eye on the screen. So we are, uh, we're ready to start chapter 7 today. Uh, we're moving right along. It's actually going to be a, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at 17 verses today, and we're going to look at two miracles of Jesus. I think they're two of his most poignant miracles. And what I mean by that is that they are, they're just incredibly full of emotion and meaning. And so we're going to look at what those, these two really are connected. And I think Luke tells them, as he does, for that reason. And they're going, you're going to see that as we go through it. Um, so we're, we'll pick up that story, Luke chapter 7, here in just a couple of minutes. But if you have your Bible study prayer card, get it out. Good morning, uh, Judith. And good morning, Sue. Thank you for watching this morning. And I, and I want to say hello to everyone that will watch this later. I really appreciate those that get in later. Sandra, it's good to see you this morning. Thanks for, I wish I could actually see everybody. Wouldn't that be fun? But uh, flicking something off the top of my screen there. I'm just so appreciative of those that take the time to watch this live and interact and actually ask some questions. I always want you to do that. Type in your questions, type in your comments, type in your thoughts. I'll do my best to see them as we're talking live. And if I don't see them live, I will come back to it later and answer it and, and make sure that uh, if you have a question, we get it in there. Because I don't want this to just be a one-way street. That's the problem with live streams. Sometimes it can just be one way. But uh, the best way to learn in Bible study is to be able to ask questions. And there are absolutely no dumb questions. I proved that all my life because I, I ask what other people might think are dumb questions. But you know what? Everybody I've ever learned from has been so kind as to say to me, there are no dumb questions. You know, it's a question. If you have a question, great. The only way to learn is to ask. 
So feel free to, uh, to do that as we go along. Uh, if you don't have this prayer card, look under photos on Brad Raleigh Ministries, the page that you're watching on. Look under photos and find it and print it out sometime, tuck it in your Bible. This is a beautiful prayer. Uh, it's, it's, it's just my study prayer. Uh, brought it to the study back when we were live in class. Loved hearing you pray it out loud. There's something powerful about hearing God's people pray in concert out loud. I love that. So, uh, I know you're going to pray it with me. And uh, go ahead, get your card out, uh, and let's, let's just pray these ancient words together before we begin our study. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies. And unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy good and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for praying that with me. Uh, as, we, as I was studying for this morning's lesson, I was, I was actually reading just a little, because it's about death and dying, and, and it's also about life, of course, because of the miracles of Jesus. I was reading a couple of chapters, a little few pages in, in, my, in my book, A Presence in the Dark, Finding Hope in Death. It's a book I put out just a couple of years ago, uh, mostly to give to families that I have helped with funerals. I, I'd always wanted something to just leave in their hands that would help them, you know, weeks and months later to read through and and just be a voice in, in their darkness and their loneliness. And, and I guess I picked it up to read through it a little bit because I was thinking, not, not only just because it's sitting here on my shelf, it caught my eye, but, but because I was thinking about all of the, the sadness and the loneliness and the depression that is in our society right now because of this pandemic isolation. And uh, that there, there's actually a chapter in here called never alone. I think it's the third chapter, if I remember right. And in that, I, I talk about why it is that we are never alone. And, and I think that's a valid message that we need to think on again. Maybe I'll do, I think I'll do, I don't know, I've been feeling moved to maybe do some special videos on these, some of these subjects in here. Because there's so much loneliness, isolation, and depression going on. And that happens in grief, naturally, when our loved ones die. And that's why the book was written, but I, I hadn't thought about this book being so uh, appropriate for times of just isolation and, and loneliness uh, that comes from other reasons besides death. But in a, in a sense, it, it's still death, isn't it? Because it's kind of like the death of our way of life. Our way of life has been dramatically altered. And what we knew as normal seems to have died. And we're all trying to figure out we're mourning that loss and we're trying to figure out what's God's plan for us in a new normal. And that can be, that can be grief. That can be challenging. Um, so anyway, um, be looking for some new videos. I'll, I'll be working on some thoughts from the book. If you want a copy of the book, feel free to get it 
You can get it from uh, bradreillyministries.org. There's a link with books. You can go to Amazon and get it anywhere. Uh, I, I think it is available. I'm pretty sure I made it available in like digital books as well. And, uh, and, and it's not about the money. If you can't afford it, it's not a very expensive book, but if you can't afford it, I would love to give it to you. You just send me a message. I'll mail it to you. Um, so God bless you. Just some thoughts. As we begin, we're going to look at two different families this morning that are grieving. And uh, we begin with the story of the Roman centurion. Now, the Roman centurion, this is one of my favorite stories in the gospel. Uh, both of these stories that we're looking at today are, 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 are my favorites. And, and the one that we're also going to look at the raising of the widow's son from Nain, the widow from Nain. And many would say that's the most beautiful story in all of Scripture, in all of uh, Jesus' stories anyway. And, and I, I can see why. And, and we'll talk about that. But in the beginning here... You know what? I just realized I forgot to uh, forgot to click on my audio portion, and let me grab it here, my handy dandy little audio recorder, so that I can keep things for the podcast. I mean, this is video streaming, and we have a record of that, but I also need the audio, just the audio by itself. So, click. Now we're on recording just the audio. Uh, Dennis, thanks for joining us this morning. I want to update everybody. You know, we were praying for Dennis's friend, Robert, uh, who was in the hospital, was in intensive care, had COVID-19, and and he passed. Dennis gave me a message this last week that he passed away. You know, that is, we are so sad for his family. And, And I did not know Robert, but I do know this. God healed him. God always heals. It's our privilege to pray for God's healing. And yes, we want healing in this physical world, like we're going to read about this morning in these gospel passages. But yet God always heals. The greatest healing of all is to leave this mortal body behind and to be in the presence of our God as we were created to be. That's the greatest healing of all. So, uh, God have mercy on his family and and bless them through this difficult time. Continue to remember them in your prayers as well. And and anyone that you want us to pray for, feel free to to always send a link in here. I have in my, uh, I don't have it with me right here, but at the church where I'm pastoring in Udall, Kansas, the Udall United Methodist Church, we have a wall of prayer. And it's filled with little gold papers that people wrote prayer requests for God's healing on. People, situations, uh, all run the gamut of different life's experiences. And we're just praying and believing God's going to heal them all. One way or the other, God, we know God will heal them all. And, And so it's been exciting to see. And I get to go with a big red pen and mark healed on those. There's like seven of them that already say healed. There's like 25 or something like that on the board. And, and, and I think God wants us, to, I, I want us to have a visual reminder of that. I'm not, I'm not doing this podcast from the church office or I'd show it to you. This is my counseling office in Wichita. But uh, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting to watch the hand of God move in your lives and heal these requests. Um, so 
I'll add yours to the board if you send it to me, and we'll be praying for you. Let's read together the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. We'll read through the first 17 verses. I'll be reading from the Revised Standard Version. This is the word of the Lord. After he had ended all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a slave who was dear to him, who was sick and at the point of death. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. I love that. Hi, Cynthia, good to see you today. Reading on, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the city, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came and touched the bier and the bearers stood still stood still and he said young man i say to you arise and the dead man sat up and began to speak and he gave him to his mother fear seized them all and they glorified god saying a great prophet has arisen among us and god has visited his people and this report concerning him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love those stories. Those are powerful stories. Let's talk about the first one, the healing of the centurion slave. A couple of things to note here. This is, uh, Luke is carefully telling us a story. Remember, he went to the mountain and he chose his 12 disciples out of the many spent some time with them. They came down from the mountain. There was the great crowds, and it says Jesus spent time healing them all, and then he says he began to teach. That was what we called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, and we've been through that the last few weeks. And, and then those were the great sayings, the great teachings of Jesus. And, and then it says, verse 1, after he had ended all his sayings. So this is right after Jesus is through preaching that great sermon by the Sea of Galilee there, it says he, and in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is at one end of the Sea of Galilee. Good morning, Sylvia. Great to see you. 
So he, he goes to Capernaum. He often went to Capernaum. It was kind of Peter, uh, Peter's hometown uh, where he, he was living at the time, working his business out of, we know, and, uh, and so his fishing business. And so we see a lot of Capernaum in the Gospels. And having been to Israel twice, what a joy it has been to go to Capernaum. It is an incredible place. There is the ruins, amazing ruins, of a synagogue right there in Capernaum, the synagogue where Jesus speaks from, as recorded in John chapter 6. And it's the synagogue that this Roman centurion had built. So when you're standing there in this synagogue amongst these stones and these ruins, it's amazing to think about the faith of this Roman centurion who loved the Jewish people enough that he built them a synagogue. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Because number one, the Jews, I mean, the, the Romans really hated the Jews. I mean, they tolerated them. They let them have their religion. They, the Romans thought religion was useful to keep people occupied and keep them under their gods, if you will. And, uh, and so the Romans were happy to let them practice their religion. Um, but they dis had disdain for the Jews. They thought of them, I mean, the Jews, they knew that the Jews thought of themselves as God's only chosen people. And so the Romans looked at them as kind of the worst of all people. And, and so to have a Roman centurion with this much faith and this much love, it says right here, he, he has a love for our nation, for the people of God. He clearly is a man, probably doesn't understand all of the Jewish faith, but he somehow has faith enough to look to the God of Israel for his healing and this great prophet named Jesus that he's heard about. So we pick up the story that this couple of, couple of points as we walk through, we're just going to note them in the, in the passages. First of all, the slave was someone who was very dear to the centurion. That's, again, another oddity shows how good a man this centurion was. Because in Roman practice, in Roman law, a slave was nothing but property or a tool to be used. And if he's not useful, throw him away. Get rid of him, you could even kill him. No penalty. That's what slaves were to the Romans. But to this man, he's dear. Obviously, this man had a tender heart and a good heart. And this slave, it says, was sick and even to the point of death. And it says in verse 3 that when this centurion heard of Jesus, he clearly heard of his miracles and his, his great teachings. Because word's getting out. It says he sent to Jesus the elders of the Jews. So these rulers of the synagogue that he had built there for them, the elders of the community, he sends them to Jesus rather than him go himself. Again, this shows us humility. Shows us the heart of this man. And so they go and they come and their role is to go ask Jesus to come and heal the slave. And it says when they came to Jesus, they besought him earnestly. Some of the words in the text here tell us this is important to them too because they, they're attached to this Roman centurion. He's an important man in their community. And, and he, they want his servant to be healed. They want to do this for him. And they know that Jesus has healed people. So let's, let's, let's go ask Jesus. And, and they even say in verse 4, he is, speaking of the centurion, he is worthy of you to do this for him. You can see the high esteem in which they hold this man in. 
And it says that in verse 6, Jesus went with them. So we don't know exactly where the centurion's house is, but we do know that wherever Jesus is in Capernaum, it's probably in Capernaum, he's going with the people. Because it didn't take long for them to go out and find him and then come in. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for joining in today. So as Jesus is going to the house in verse 6, it says when he was not far from the house that the centurion sent his friends out to him. Now, a couple of things are happening here. Jesus is intending to go to the house to heal the slave, who's obviously in the house. First of all, that is forbidden. A Jew, a good Jew, is forbidden to enter the house or home of a Gentile. It was considered unclean, and they would make themselves unclean. Now, the Roman centurion, whom we're learning in this story, is a very humble, very uh, believing man who actually understands Jewish custom. He's been living amongst them a long time. He understands this custom, and he knows that if Jesus, this great teacher, this great prophet, comes into his house, he's going to be unclean, and he's going to be, again, ostracized by his people. He doesn't want to do that to Jesus. So he's willing to send people out to stop Jesus. He can see that Jesus is willing to do even that which his own faith says would make him unclean. But the centurion stops him, sends his friends out, stops him and says, don't come in, master. Let's look at it here. This is uh, <clears throat> verse, the latter part of verse 6. And the saying to him, the centurion said, the centurion's servants, when you see pictures and icons uh, of this, it always shows like the centurion bowing down to Jesus. And, and, and I understand the artist is trying to note that the, the, the words are coming from the centurion to Jesus. But in reality, it's the centurion's friends that are going to talk to Jesus. First, it's the elders of the Jews that go to talk to Jesus. Now it's his friends that come out of his house to talk to Jesus. And they say for the centurion, these are his words, they say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I want you to circle the word worthy. This is a Greek word, ikanos, ikanos, I-K-A-N-O-S. And it means I'm not adequate. He knew, again, humility, always sees humility from this man. He knows he's not fit for the Lord Jesus to come under his roof. That means into his home. And, and so he stops him there. And he says in verse 7, something else more powerful. We'll look at another Greek word here. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Wow. He didn't presume to go to Jesus. He didn't even feel worthy to go talk to Jesus. He sent his friends. Now, there's a word there that I think is an important word here. It's axiou, uh, A-X-I-O-O. And it means I was not, I'm not spiritually fit. I am not, it's a different word from the other word. It literally talks about his spirit. I'm not spiritually good enough for you to come into my presence, to come under my roof, into my home. Wow, that is beautiful humility, incredible humility. And, and then he continues on. He says, but you say the word to Jesus. This is what they say, the Romans' words. 
but you say the word and my servant shall be healed. He knows that it'll, all it takes is word. He knows, he believes Jesus doesn't have to come into his house to cure his servant. He just needs to say the word. That's incredible faith. He goes on to explain that he's a man under authority and he understands what it means to have authority. He says, I say to this one, they go and they do. And to that one, whatever he says goes because he's a man of authority, a centurion. The centurion has a hundred men under his charge. The centurions were in the Roman army, the backbone of the army. They, were the, they had to be people of great character and fortitude. They were smart. They knew when to fight and when not to fight. But if they had to fight, they were not to put their men in harm's way needlessly. And if it took it, they would go to the death to protect their men. That's the Roman centurion, the backbone of the army. And here he is, this man of great faith. I, I want to just stop and put a little parenthesis there. It is possible for a soldier to be a person of faith. I know Jesus says not to fight. Jesus has turned the other cheek. We believe in the, the pacifism of the gospel. But yet, for those who find themselves in harm's way or in servitude, in a military setting, it doesn't preclude them from being people of faith. So remember that. Because clearly, this man's a man of faith. Now, so little parentheses there. And so, when he's through... In verse 9, Jesus just said, it's just, Jesus is marveled. It says, Jesus marveled. It's the only place in Scripture where it says, Jesus marveled at another human being. And it's a pagan from Rome. That's amazing. Truly amazing. And Jesus even goes on to say, I tell you that in all of Israel, I have not seen or found such faith. Wow. Let's stop and think about what is the faith of the centurion? What is the faith that is so great that the centurion has? It's a faith that, it's really the true essence of the word faith, isn't it? It doesn't have to be proved to me. The centurion says, you don't have to prove anything to me, Lord. I just believe. And you don't have to do anything for me, Lord. I just know your word is enough. That's the essence of who we are called to be as Christians. When I think about the, that kind of concept, true essence of faith, I always think about the words that were credited to St. Augustine. I don't know if he's the original sayer, but they're often credited to him. St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo in the 5th century. He said, I do not see that I may believe I believe that I may see. Faith is believing what we cannot see, what we cannot even comprehend. We just believe. Powerful faith happening here. And, uh, and he says in verse 10, When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it doesn't, Luke doesn't record for us Jesus doing anything like holding up his hand and saying, uh, this man is now made well and you go, you know, he doesn't record us saying anything other than how he just marvels at this faith. And clearly he said the word, Luke just doesn't give it to us, but he said it. He said, he 
probably said something like, go, you know, this man's faith has made his servant well. Um, and, and I want you to hear something. This is, a, this is important. This, sir, this line of the centurion, when, when I first, I heard this line years ago in, uh, in a worship service, in a Catholic worship service, right before communion, receiving communion, I heard these words that, this was when I was young, okay, because you, you know I was in the Catholic Church when I was young, and I heard these words. I didn't know they were from the Gospel of Matthew or Luke. Matthew tells this story also. Similarly, um, I didn't know they were the words of a Roman centurion. I just heard these words that before the before you take communion, the people would recite the phrase, "Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed." They've since then gone, and that was raised in an era of the English language after Vatican II, and that's, that's what it was when I learned it. Now they've actually gone back to an old English rendering of the original Latin, which uh, in, in their mass that says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, which is what he says here, under my roof, but only say the word and your servant shall be healed. And the idea, of course, the roof is, it's our being. It's our temple here, our body. Lord, I'm not worthy. So ever since then, ever since then, to this day, at the age of 59, I cannot take Holy Communion without hearing those words. And in the service where I lead, I use those words. I just invite the people to say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Because that's exactly what happens in Holy Communion. We're not worthy to receive Holy Communion. We're not, willing, we're not worthy to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, come. He says, do this whenever in remembrance of me. He invites us to come to eat and drink to the healing of our souls, to the nourishing of our souls. Powerful example. One of the reasons why I believe this is, this is, an, this is symbolic of every believer coming to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and recognizing we're unworthy and recognizing that he has said the word to come. And so we come. And so we are healed. Every time we take Holy Communion, we're healed. The healing power of God, the grace of God, enters into our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies. And in that real sense, we are healed. It's a healing ministry of God. It's not just an empty ritual. I know there are some churches that think of it as an empty ritual, Holy Communion. They don't see any grace. It's just a remembrance. But that doesn't square with Scripture at all. And, and we've studied the Gospel of John. And if you want to go back and listen to my podcast on the Gospel of John, chapter 6 especially, when Jesus talks all about his flesh is true, and the Greek word is very clear, true food. And 
his blood, true drink, that unless a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he has no life in him. These are Jesus' words, not mine. That it, it just doesn't square with Scripture. St. Paul says it in his First Corinthian letter too, also in chapter 10. Is not the bread that we break a sharing? It means a real sharing in the body of Jesus and the cup in the blood. This is the words of Paul. Uh, Judy says, taking time to meet and have this Bible say, I, I'm so blessed that any of you even listen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, so, so in that, I, I, I feel sad for churches that don't understand the grace-filled nature of Holy Communion. John Wesley himself, I mean, the father of, of the Wesleyan Holiness Movement, uh, he took communion four or five times a week because he couldn't get enough of the Lord Jesus. And, and if, when you come with this understanding... Lord, I'm not worthy, but you've said the word, and I come to be healed. It's a beautiful song. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. Can't think of the name of the song. I can hear it, though. Man, I just, whew, so powerful. So I'm praying that next time you take Holy Communion, I don't know if your church does it weekly. I'm doing it weekly in, in the church where I'm serving there's no rule that you have to do it weekly. There's no rule that you have to do it at any particular time. But, but many Christians, and I will say most Christians throughout history, have seen it as the central act of worship in their faith, along with the preaching of the word and the singing and lifting of praises. Because when we recognize that, wow, I, I want that meal. I want to sit at his table. I want to, there's another song running through my, I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand. It's overwhelming. Yeah, I'm not carrying the tune very well, but you know what I mean. It, wow. Sylvie said, I'm thankful for the emphasis you place on Holy Communion. I get emotional about this. Jesus Christ gave us his body and his blood in a mystery. We can't understand it, nor should we even try. Just faith. Just accept it. Just receive it. Just take it and be healed. Sorry. The centurion gives to Jesus Jesus' rightful place of honor. When we come to the table of the Lord, we're giving to Jesus his rightful place of honor as our Savior, as our Lord, as our sustenance, as that which with, we, with which we cannot live without. Without the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, we have no life within ourselves. And if you're part of a church that doesn't believe that, God bless you. I love you. I, I, I think you're missing something. <laughs> you're just missing, you're missing the blessing. Uh, wow, I just want to teach that to everybody. Wow. How am I doing on time? 11.36, because I have to be to work at 12 today uh, to help cover some things. Uh, the work at the mortuary, other jobs that I have. Um, let's look at the second miracle today, okay? Sandra, your Bible studies are such a blessing. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. 
So glad you're with us. Look at the second miracle with me. This is so poignant. Jesus is walking down the road. It says soon afterwards, so it's just right after this incredible miracle in Capernaum. It says he, he went to a city called Nain. Nain is about six miles, I think, south and east of, of uh, Capernaum, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's very near. On the way there, you would pass Shunem, which is in the second, the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, where Elisha, the prophet, uh, performs a great miracle raising uh, another widow's son from the dead. We're going to contrast that in a minute. Um, so it's in that general same area. And, and it says that uh, the disciples and a great crowd went with Jesus to Nain. And as they come there, as they draw near to the city, they see a funeral procession coming out of the city. And, and there's a great, you know, there's just a great crowd of people, it tells us here. And the mother who's at the front of the, the funeral beer, that's that's just kind of like a pall that's, or, or, or a beer is something the body is laid upon, okay? And it's not a coffin. They didn't use coffins or caskets in, in those days in the Middle East. And uh, and so the body's laying there ready to go be buried. And and there's mourners. That was the Jewish custom. Their people are crying. They're wailing. There's music. And they're, 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 they're just having this funeral march, if you will. And Jesus, who sees them from the distance... It says, when he saw her, when he saw this woman, it says he had compassion on her. This is verse 13 now. It says that he had compassion on her. This is a very important word, this word compassion. It, it means more than you think it does. We hear that, oh, we can have compassion. We can have compassion. Oh, I feel sorry for something. This isn't pity. This isn't just feeling sorry. This is a word that I, I can't even say. The Greek is so weird. It's a hard word. It, I'll just spell it for you. S P L a x g x n i z o m a i that's a mouthful if there ever was one uh it's something like splanknitsomahi splanknitsomahi okay something like that and it literally means a compassion and the, the the root word the splanks is, means the innards or the bowels of our person. And, and you see, in their train of thought, this means the innermost part of your core. So his compassion is the compassion of his very emotional being welling up from his core. Not just some pity, not just some moving compassion, but the very core of Christ. Wow. And, and it says, in that he had compassion on her. And he stopped and he said to her, do not weep. He knows what he's about to do. Do not weep. He's going to give her back her son. And he says, I, and he just, the only thing else he says in Greek, it's just four words. It's a few more than that in English. Young man. There's two words that, that would be in the Greek. Young man. And then I say to you is all one word in Greek. Arise. And it says that the, the dead man sat up and began to speak. It doesn't get any greater than this. I mean, it just doesn't. It, I, I forgot to mention, it says that Jesus actually touched the bier where the body was laying. And it says then that they stood still. Okay, they're on their march. He's telling her, don't weep. But to get their attention, he goes up and places his hand on the bier. That would have been unheard of. As if to say, 
you stop. And then he says the four words. Young man, arise. Wow. I say to you, arise. And he does. And, and it says he gave him to his mother. That's the last part of verse 15. And he gave him to his mother. Can you imagine Jesus thinking about his own mother, who's a widow? And the scripture told us this woman is a widow, and this is her only son. Some people have said that's perhaps the most poignant and saddest words in all of scripture, that it says, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Because as a widow, she would have no means of support. She would be literally destitute without her son. There was no social security. There was no local food bank. There was no, I mean, widows were destitute. And that's why widows and orphans were very special to the people of God. And the Jewish people were called to have ministry to them. But can you imagine um, her feelings and her fears? And it says here uh, that he gave him to his mother. What a a beautiful scene. I don't know. It probably helped pick him up off of the beer, you know, and, and get his get his kind of his standings and let him embrace his mother. I oh, I would have loved to be there. Wow. And 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 then it's his fear seized everyone. Fear just seized everyone. I mean, I do funerals all the time, and I don't know what I'd do if somebody sat up. I was dead. I'd, I'd be done. I'd probably be seeing Jesus because I'd have a heart attack. But, uh, wow. Resurrection. Right there before their eyes. And it's all by the word of Jesus. He didn't have to go through any fancy prostrations. We look back to the book of 2 Kings. Elisha, the prophet... He, it's a wonderful story in chapter 4 how he be, he's befriended by the Shunammite family and um, from Shuman and they give him a place to live. He goes through there a lot on his travels. They give him a place to live up on the rooftop and the, make a room for him up there. And, and, and he, she's, an old, she's married to an older man. She's barren, has no children. And, and, and he tells her, you know what? You're, he wants to do something for them. And, and he says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, wait a minute. No, you, that's not going to happen. He says, you're going to have a baby. And, 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 and a year later, by the springtime, she has the baby. And, and, and he grows to be a man. And he's working in the fields with his father. And all of a sudden, he has a horrible head pain. And, and his father takes him as he collapses, carries him to his mother, lays him in his mother's lap, and in his mother's lap, the, the young man dies. And, and, and the story, she, she gets on a donkey, races to Mount Carmel, where she knows Elisha spends most of his time, and, and uh, she says, did I ask for a child? And now look, you know, he's, and, and, and so it's a long story. I don't have time to tell you all. Oh, go back and read it, 2 Kings chapter 4. But when Elisha gets there, you know, he sent his staff ahead of him. They said, put the staff on the boy. Well, that didn't do anything. And then when Elisha gets there, Elisha lays down on him, like in the shape of a cross. He lays down on him. And eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, it says, on this dead man's body. And, and, uh, and breathes. And it, nothing happens. It says the, the, boy, the boy's body began to warm, though. 
you know, dead bodies are cold. And so then it says Elisha gets up and he walks around the house and then he goes back and lays down again. And, and then it says that the boy came to life or the young man came to life. I mean, it's a powerful story. Go read it. But look at the contrast. Elisha was the servant of God. He wasn't God. And he had to go through a lot of prostrations to get this to happen. He's praying. He's trying to get everything to work. Uh, I see Cindy and Beverly joined us. Thank you for joining us. And, and in that in that prostrations, I'm sure Elisha's praying. He's getting in touch with God and just asking for this miracle of life for this boy. And, and God grants it. This boy's brought to life. This young man is brought to life. But in, but in this story today in Luke's gospel, it, it, this is God interacting in human form, raising the dead. Doesn't get any more poignant than that. And giving him back to his mother. Wow. The word of the, word of the Lord. The Roman centurion, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only say the word. The widow's son, Christ doesn't have to be in, and here's the real lesson this morning from, these, from, from this story, okay? And we're, the reason I think Luke follows the story of the widow at Nain onto the servant, servant uh, of the centurion is because Christ doesn't have to be invited in to do this miracle. He willed to, he saw the pain in the mother and the family and the friends, and he willed, he knew she was a widow. He's God. He knew what her life was, and he, he had the greatest compassion he could have, and he didn't have to be asked, oh, hey, there's the Lord, stop, maybe he'll raise my son. No, he just walked up there and said, young man, arise. Told her, don't weep, young man, arise. Jesus wants to do that in our lives. Oh, that we would send for him, like the centurion did. Oh, that we would do that in faith. But understand this, I believe in the doctrine of prevenient grace. Prevenient grace, if you don't know what that means, it just means God is acting in our world and he is already working in our lives. He is already calling out to us without us even asking. He is already bringing grace into our world and into our lives without us even asking. Because he loves and he wills to love. He loves all of humanity. He loves his creation, and he is acting in this world. We must open our eyes to see it. So, here we are. Days of loneliness, days of isolation, days of uncertainty, days of fear, days of some of the worst times we can imagine, although it can probably get and probably will get a lot worse someday, somehow. We need faith. We need the faith of the Roman centurion. We need to call upon the living God to come give us the strength to have the faith to call upon the living God. Well, I've got to go. I've got to run. I've got 12 minutes to get to work. Thank you for joining me today. I am so glad you did. And, and we got to keep this going. And maybe, you know, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. One of, the, one of the greatest things you could do to help this ministry 
I mean, it is a ministry. I'm, if Brad Riley Ministries is a is a is a uh, is a ministry that you can donate to, uh, I don't just sit here and ask for donations. But you know, one of the best things you could do is just share this video with a friend. Share it with a friend. Uh, and like I said, if you want the book, let me know. I'll send one to you. Uh, but it, it, you can get it on both my ministry page and Amazon. But God bless you. I hate to have to study and run, but let me pray for you now as we close this time together. Father God, what a special time it has been in your word today. Just seeing the incredible power and love of Jesus Christ coming into the lives of these two and, and into our very lives today. I pray, Father, be with everyone who hears these words today on this video. Come into their life in a special way, prevenient way. Touch them, even though they may not know to ask that for you. And let their eyes be open to the faith in you, Lord Jesus. I ask these things in your strong name. You, our Lord, our Savior, who live with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. God bless you, my friends. I'll look for you next week. Goodbye.